Amen. If you guys don't mind staying standing, um, we're going to recite the Lord's Prayer together. And for the sake of translation, because some might have the KJV, ESV, NIV, pick whatever translation, this is the one we're going to read together. So if you don't mind reciting this with me. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Amen. You may be seated. So we're going to start this morning with a question. Who are you becoming? Not who are you right now. Not ideally who you want to be. But the question for the morning is, who are you becoming? And for some of us, this is a question that excites us because we're like resolution people. Like all of December, we're so excited that we can get all of these different things and tick them off the box. And we're so excited about personal development. But for others of us, this question haunts us to our very core. Because maybe we recognize that though the end of the year comes, and even as we're already more than halfway through the first month of the year, that this might haunt us because maybe we don't like the person that we're becoming. Or maybe it's a question that for some of us we've never actually considered. That we are so bent around the axle, around the things that currently take up our schedules, whether that be work or family, sports, social media, the pursuit of comfort or happiness, or the list can go on. We can be so consumed with our present busyness to even pause and consider what the end result of our life's trajectory will amount to. And even if we haven't asked this question of ourselves lately, our response to this question of who are you becoming typically can get filled with things that do fill our schedules or the things that we do externally. And if you love the external work, Nathan's preaching next week, so please come then and you will learn all the things as a follower of Jesus that we will do. If your becoming is hitched to your work, then your identity will be bent around whether you get a promotion or not. Some of us, our identities and our becoming is attached to our families or even how well our kids do in school or sports. Um, Our popularity on social media or in the public eye can be something that we are focused on in our process of becoming. Or, let's go here for just a second. Some of us, in our process of becoming, we love coming into a space like this and put on a front or a show in front of other people to appear like we are becoming something that deep down inside we're not. The whole question, how are you doing? Blessed and highly favored. I'm doing great. But deep down inside, you know how you're doing. And you know who you're becoming. And if you don't believe me, that our becoming often can be focused on our external acts or things, think back to the first time that you have met somebody. Even if it's someone here in this church and you don't know them, often the first question that gets asked, other than hopefully you find out their name, the next thing is, what do you do? Men, this is very true of us, we love our work. 
What do you do? Because our identities and our becoming is often tethered towards our occupation or whatever it is that externally that we do. And this is very prevalent in our Midwest blue-collar culture that our work and what we do becomes attached to our worth and purpose. And this has also crept, unfortunately, into the Western church where even as a church, we become identified by the things that we do, which are good, but we often look for our worth or our becoming based on the external instead of what's deep at the core. And so this morning, as we talk about this new thing, I am going to be bringing up that God wants to do something internally within us. And no, not like your organs and stuff getting all healthy and getting a good regular heartbeat, but that God might want to do something brand new deep within your heart and your soul. Because as we've already mentioned, some things that we can attach to our becoming, it's the things that we give our attention to that eventually become the DNA of who or what we become. Or you become what you behold. There's an author, pastor, uh, by the name of John Mark Comer. I've quoted him often, but in his book, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, he had this to say. What you give your attention to is the person you become. Put another way, the mind is the portal to the soul, and what you fill your mind with will shape the trajectory of your character. In the end, your life is no more than the sum of what you gave your attention to. That bodes well for those apprentices of Jesus who give the bulk of their attention to him and to all that is good, beautiful, and true in the world. But not for those who give their attention to the 24-7 news cycle of outrage and anxiety and emotion-charged drama or the nonstop feed of celebrity gossip, titillation, and cultural drivel. But again, we become what we give our attention to, for better or for worse. Your life is the sum of what you give your attention to for better or for worse. So let me ask one more time, who are you becoming? And in this context, let's shift gears a little bit. What did Jesus give his mind and attention to? Because if we are Christians, little Christ, followers of Jesus, whatever you want to claim yourself, if you believe Jesus is who he said he is, like the last song, if you believe in the name of Jesus, then you call yourself a Christian. And because of that, our focus is on him. And if our focus is on him, what was his focus in his life? Because he did a bunch of miracles. Nathan will probably talk about a lot of the external things that Jesus did. He taught powerful sermons. His life is summed up often by his doings, which are, once again, good things. He died on the cross, external, resurrected from the grave. He ascended to heaven, and he's going to come back to earth to redeem and restore. But can we pause to just think and ponder, what was Jesus's process of his becoming? Because Jesus obviously had some kind of deep self-awareness to understand who he was and ultimately who he is. So if you have your Bibles, I would love for you to turn to Matthew chapter 3, starting in verse 13, and we'll go to verse 17. I'll wait until the flaps are almost non-existent. I love hearing the flaps of the pages, but if you have a digital Bible, no judgment at all. It's the word of God whether on screen or paper. 
So Matthew chapter 3, starting in verse 13. Then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. But John tried to stop him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and yet you come to me? Jesus answered him, allow it for now, because this is the way for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then John allowed him to be baptized, like John actually had a say in the matter. When Jesus was baptized, he went up immediately from the water. The heavens suddenly opened for him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove coming down on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. And keep your Bibles open. Don't close them. We're going to get back to it. So at this point in the story, Jesus is beginning his earthly ministry. Jesus is aware that his time has come for him to start going out and to reveal that he's the Messiah and start through external signs to prove and to show and to teach about the incoming kingdom of God that is going to be among us. And at the very beginning of his ministry, he finds it fit for him to be baptized by John the Baptist, his cousin. And what's interesting is in verse 17, that the voice came from heaven and didn't say, y'all, he's about to do some real good stuff. You better pay attention to him. That's not what God said. He said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. And hear this, child of God, your value and your worth in the eyes of God is not predicated on your doing. It is based on whose you are. Before Jesus did a thing, God said, this is my beloved son. So don't think even within our own Christian context that God is going to become more pleased because of the more things that you do for him and in his name, but you are beloved before you did a thing. While you were in your mother's womb, God loved you and predestined you to become a part of him. And so Jesus begins his earthly ministry and in his process of his becoming, first understands his true identity that cannot be taken away from him. The statement here that God made over his son was not just because Jesus had a killer time with his Old Testament that morning. So whether you are on the mountaintop, the valley, or anywhere in between, whether you've just made the biggest mistake of your life or you've been nonstop praying and fasting since January 1, which if that's you, well done. But no matter what you do, God values you for who you are, and that cannot be taken away. You are a child of the Most High God, that you are sealed by his Spirit that he has made you for himself and that Jesus came and ultimately did go to the cross because he loves you. You are a beloved son or daughter. And as we seek that question of who we are becoming, we need to start there. Not with the external things, and we'll get to the, that half sheet of paper. If you've already started filling it out, you're great, but we'll give some time for that at the end. But we begin with our belovedness. And then if you still have your Bibles open, we're going to go to Matthew chapter 4, starting in verse 1. 
because what comes next after the baptism of Jesus is really important for us this morning. Matthew chapter 4, verse 1. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Jesus' beginning his earthly ministry gets baptized. Wouldn't you think this would be the time that instead of going to the wilderness, that he would choose to go into the cities and stand on top of like crates and start saying, I'm here, the kingdom of God has come. I am the one you've been looking for. His first thing that he does in his earthly ministry is to go into the wilderness, to be tempted by the devil and to fast for 40 days. Doesn't seem like the logical move. And it's also important for us to point out here that we can often think of this story and imagine, like my kids just recently got the Wii, and when you edit the Wii character, you like pick them up and then you like move them over here or whatever, if you remember that. Millennials, you're with me, everyone else, it's fine. But Jesus in this moment wasn't just picked up by some Holy Spirit force and just like chucked into the wilderness. If you've had that experience of being led by the Spirit, I would love to hear that story. But more often than not, Holy Spirit was whispering to the soul of Jesus and telling him where to go. And that Jesus, in his humanity, chose submission to the Spirit. So don't think that Jesus entered into the wilderness not out of making a personal decision to go. So don't think, child, that you are beloved and that is beautiful, but if you're being led to particular places, don't expect Holy Spirit to pick you up by your shirt and throw you there. You gotta put one foot in front of the other. And because Jesus knew where he was going, can you just imagine for a second, he's beginning his earthly ministry and he's taking one step closer and closer to the wilderness, knowing what's ahead of him. But can I tell you, child of God, he knew what was ahead of him and he knew it was for his good and for God's glory. So let's continue on in the story. Verse two, after he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. I love obvious Bible verses. You think he was like, man, I'm still pretty, pretty full. I'm good. After like four hours, I'm hungry. Let's continue on. Verse three, then the tempter approached him and said, Excuse me. If you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. He answered, it is written, man must not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city, had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down. And Satan's using scripture, y'all, for it is written, he will give his angels orders concerning you and they will support you with their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus told him, it is also written, counterpoint, go Jesus, chess match, he's winning. Do not test the Lord your God. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. And he said to him, I will give you all these things if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus told him, go away, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Then the devil left him and angels came and began to serve him. That Jesus, led by the Spirit, went into the wilderness to fast for 40 days and to be tempted by the devil. 
And it is in this moment of silence and solitude and fasting and surrender to Holy Spirit that he entered this process of living out his belovedness. Because he went into the wilderness, his identity didn't change. And for some of us, we feel like when we're in a hard time or when we're in a valley and Satan's tempting us, that we can take our eyes off of who we are and focus on what like, Satan's trying to do. But yet, even in the midst of your greatest temptation, in the midst of your deepest feeling of weakness, that you are still a child of God and you are still beloved, and that if you have the Holy Spirit, you still have that power within you. That same Holy Spirit is within you when you're lifting your hand during a worship song and when you're feeling tempted to do this or that. And so Jesus enters silence and solitude because it's in that moment that he is learning dependence on Holy Spirit. The same spirit that led him into the wilderness is the same spirit who will sustain him in the wilderness and to be his source, his ultimate source that will lead him through it. And for some of us, we love the passage about our belovedness and we love talking about identity, which is why the Enneagram Myers-Briggs has taken off to astronomical heights. But yet as followers of Jesus, we don't just stop there. We carry our belovedness and we do this deep interior work in this wrestling in this battle because we know that through that refining fire that we come out on the other end more dependent on Jesus and we look more like him and so we enter these moments of solitude not because we just need to be alone with our ESV and a good cup of coffee but that we actually do battle with parts of our lives that don't look like Jesus and we engage in that battle so that on the other end that we look more like him Henry Nouwen had this to say about this story, and the quote will be behind me. Solitude is the furnace of transformation. Jesus himself entered into this furnace. There he was tempted with the three compulsions of the world, to be relevant, to be spectacular, and to be powerful. There he affirmed God as the only source of his identity. Solitude is the place of the great struggle and the great encounter the struggle against the compulsions of the false self and the encounter with the loving God who offers himself as the substance of the new self. And if you haven't read The Way of the Heart, I would highly encourage you to. Beautiful book. But solitude is the furnace of transformation, which is why it's important for us, children of God, to spend time alone with Jesus. Because yes, he was tempted by Satan in the wilderness, but within that 40 days, he learned such a dependence on God and had just let the words of God saturate into his being that when he was feeling pressure and when he was feeling tempted, what came out was not, oh God, oh God, why have you forsaken me? But what came out of him was the word of God, which even my God, my God, why have you forsaken me is scripture. And that's why we spend time letting this word saturate into the fiber of our being. That's why we spend time praying. That's why we spend time fasting, because we learn not dependence on food for sustenance, but we depend on him. And I know it's an unpopular place to go. It'd be a lot easier for me to just listen to my Spotify playlist and like just do whatever it is that I'm about to do or to busy myself with my schedule. But for us to set aside all of that stuff 
the list, all the other things we focus on in our becoming, but to be welcomed into this holy invitation to be led by the Spirit to surrender our flesh and earthly desires in order to participate in the abundant life that Holy Spirit is welcoming all of us into. Because we cannot become more like Jesus if we don't surrender ourselves to him and to his working. And so the last passage of scripture we're going to land on is in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And this is where we're going to land this morning. So if you don't mind turning with me, 2 Corinthians 4, we're going to start in verse 16. As you're turning there, just to give a little bit of context throughout this particular letter to the Corinthian church, Paul's explaining some hardships that he has faced in his ministry. 2 Corinthians 1, there's an interesting piece of this letter where Paul says that he actually felt like life was going to be taken from him, like he had experienced such hardship. So also, side note, and this one's for free, when, when you say, oh, like Jesus won't give me more than I can handle, just go to 2 Corinthians 1 when Paul felt despaired of life. But it goes on to say, that happened so that I could learn dependence on God and not on me. And so Paul, throughout this letter, is explaining the hardships that you face as you draw closer to Jesus, but that that is worth it. And so we pick up in verse 16, and this is where we're going to land. Therefore, we do not give up. Even though our outer person is being destroyed, our inner person is being renewed day by day. For our momentary light affliction is producing for us an absolutely incomparable eternal weight of glory. So we do not focus on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal Hear this, child, do not give up. Because this deep interior work that Holy Spirit wants to do is a long, slow obedience in one direction, and it can become discouraging. When it might seem like that follower of Jesus or that church or that group of people are on fire for Jesus and all these things are happening around them and it seems like God's been silent. Doubts might fill your heart and your mind. You might be doubting who you are. You might be frustrated with the current circumstances of your life. But hear this. Do not give up. Why? Because we, the body of Christ, need you. Because even as Jesus went to the, like, alone, the solitary place and did battle with the devil, he eventually went back to be amongst people. And he began his ministry. He didn't just be transformed and he didn't do battle with the devil in that moment just to say like, hey, I did it. He did that so 
he could go and to be a blessing to those around him. And we enter the place of solitude and we do battle with our flesh and we go spend time with Jesus, not just so that we can become holy and we wave the flag that I'm holier than everybody else, but we do that for the sake of the world around us and for us in here to be encouraged and strengthened by your faith. Because I know I'm looking in the midst of this church and I am seeing people whose faith encouraged me in seasons of struggle and hurt and hardship. So don't give up because the process of becoming more like Jesus is worth it. As verse 17 says, for our momentary light affliction is producing for us an absolutely incomparable eternal weight of glory. The reward of our perseverance is before us, but it's a long, slow journey. And instead of just spending the rest of our time talking about all of these spiritual disciplines that you need to do in order to do X, Y, and Z and all of that, I want to just pause and just say, don't give up. Because I know the world, your flesh and the devil wants nothing more than to steal, kill, and destroy but that Jesus has come so that you could have life and life to the full. And I need you and we need you. Danville needs you. Vermilion County needs you. Our world needs you. So don't give up. When it feels like the enemy is screaming in your ear, cling to this word. Because what defeated the enemy was the word of God. And when the Spirit is leading you, trust that it is ultimately for your good and for his glory. So don't give up. Because I know it's hard. I've gone through valleys myself. I'm not holding this like head microphone thing as the expert on all things interior transformation. But I know that this promise is true. Don't give up. We don't give up. And so, follower of Jesus, I could continue once again to speak at great lengths about all of the spiritual disciplines, which if you are interested in understanding more about spiritual disciplines, if you go back in the archives of our sermons, we did a series called Cultivate where we walk through a bunch of different spiritual disciplines that will help us to become more like Jesus. And that's beautiful, and I would encourage you to go back to those. But what we're going to do is just spend a little bit of time with that half sheet of paper that you have. And there's going to be an example behind you. Um, it looks something like this. And what we're going to do is just spend a few minutes for us to just consider the person that we're becoming. And I'm going to just share mine as an example and just to be transparent before you. So the first question is, how do you want to be remembered? Keep it a sentence. It'll be really easy to go on a book, but just a sentence. I want to be known as a person of great joy who deeply loved his wife, kids, and community by embodying the way of Jesus. If that's on my tombstone at the end of my life, I think I did a job well done. But to understand that I'm not there yet. And to understand that even as we look to become somebody, that we're a work in progress, and that's okay. 
And that's why the second section, before I get there, I confess that. Like, what are some roadblocks that you feel that are between who you are now and the person you want to become? So for an example, for me, I am too consumed with unimportant things. Real example, Ted Lasso season's coming up, and I'm probably way too excited about it. Just a confession for you. I'm often selfish in my relationships and in my friendships. Sometimes I enter into friendships wanting them to give more to me than I give to them. And so it's hard to be a person who embodies the way of Jesus if I'm selfish. And often I choose personal comfort over obedience. And so then we're not going to stay in that posture of confession, though it's beautiful and good. Then we continue, how am I going to get there so I don't give up? And I have three different lines here for you to put concrete things. Because yes, the deep interior work that God wants to do, it's not going to be solely based off of what we do externally. But we still, I believe, need to have some kind of goals and things that we can be able to do deep within our soul so we can get, quote unquote, there. And so a few things that I am dedicating myself to do. Number one, I want to listen to God more than I talk at him. Second thing, something that I think Katie Hurley alluded to last week, but I'm going by the mantra, win the day. I'm going to start my day with Jesus and leave my phone unattended until 9 a.m. And I'm putting my phone to bed, hopefully by 9 p.m. So if you're trying to get a hold of me at 9.03 and I don't respond until 9 a.m., it's not because I hate you or think your problems are less than. I just know that in my process of becoming this person of great joy, I can't be scrolling through social media at 10 at night or at 7 a.m. before I even talk with Jesus. And then number three, I'm going to pray particular passages of scripture over everyone I interact with, even if something within me is like boiling, like I don't like what that person said on social media when I was able to look at them. I'm going to declare these passages over them, that they are Genesis 126, made in the image of God, Psalm 139, 13 to 14, that they are beautifully and wonderfully made, and Ephesians 2.10, that they are a masterpiece created in Christ Jesus for good works. And as I interact with people, my prayer is going to be those verses I'm going to declare over whoever I interact with. And please don't copy and paste this exact answer, unless if that is where Holy Spirit is leading you. But I hope that this little exercise will get our hearts and our minds just for this little bit of time to retreat from all of the busy schedules and the lunch reservations that we have and all the other things that we have going on, but that this could be an opportunity for us to really consider who are we becoming? Because once again, we need you. I need you. And so let's take a little bit of time this morning. Matt's going to eventually play some, some music after I pray. But let's just take a little bit of time and pray and consider who we're becoming let Holy Spirit reveal some things within us that maybe we need to write pen to paper and then pray over and consider some of the things that we might want to do so that we don't give up.
And then the last thing that I'll say before I sit down and let you guys do work with Holy Spirit is that my encouragement in weeks past, there's been emails sent to Jordan Chapel. And if you still love those weekly emails, you can just take a picture of this and send it to him if you desire. But if not, I would highly encourage you because you guys are all like, for the most part, seated with people that you know and love. Share this with them. Parents, share this with your kids. How powerful would it be for you as parent to say, look, this is the person I want to become. And get this, how crazy would it be if you said, this is the person I want to become. Kids, how am I doing? And to hear with a humble heart. And then to even as parents or as family, to confess some of the things that you've recognized deep within you that are roadblocks between the person you are now and who you want to become. And then to share some of these things so that we can encourage each other. Say, hey, these things are beautiful. Don't give up. I'm seeing fruit. Don't give up. So take a little bit of time. After you fill this out, I would highly encourage you to share it with people you love, whether it's family, friends, the person next to you, or if you want to email Jordan or talk with me, whatever, that's between you and Holy Spirit. And so as I pray, I want to pray Psalm 19 over you. David says this, Who perceives his unintentional sins? Cleanse me from my hidden faults. Moreover, keep your servant from willful sins. Do not let them rule me. Then I will be blameless and cleansed from blatant rebellion. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you, Lord, my rock, my redeemer.